So, if you have your Bibles today, turn with me, if you would, to 1 Peter chapter 4. We are going through a series of messages called Living Hope in a Hopeless World. And in chapter 4, we're coming into a section that it seems a bit odd at first. It seems a bit strange to our Western Christian minds. Peter is writing to this group of persecuted believers who are living in northern Turkey. He's writing to this group of persecuted believers about the hope in Christian suffering, something we don't normally put together. And when Peter is writing to them, he's writing to encourage them to stay strong, to keep their eyes on Jesus. You know, there's a lot of crazy stuff that happens in the world, and uh, I was reading a piece, True Story. True Story. This guy walks into a convenience store. He's got a $20 bill. He lays it on the counter, and he tells the girl behind the counter, I'd like change for a 20, please. So she opens up her drawer, and the guy whips out a gun and says, I want, all your, I want all your money out of the register. So the girl nervously puts it together and hands it to the guy. He stuffs it in his pocket. He runs out the door. But he leaves the $20 bill sitting on the counter. So later when the police come and they're asking all about this stuff, they asked about what was in the drawer. The girl said, $15. <laughs> it cost the guy five bucks to rob the convenience store. They are hoping he'll be back again next week. They need the money, so they're hoping he comes back. <laughs> Crazy stuff that happens in the world. You couldn't make this up. Well, when you're reading a section like this, it seems crazy. Peter's telling people, you rejoice when you're going through suffering? There, there's something in this that God is working that he wants us to know, and that's what Peter's talking about. Here's the way he put it, 1 Peter 4, beginning in verse 12. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it's time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it's hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Let's pray for a moment. Lord, this is your word. And it was a perspective that brought such hope to those early Christians who really were laying it all down in faithfulness to you. And God, while we in the West here may not be suffering this kind of persecution, all of us face trials. Every one of us in this room, everyone in the, within the realm of hearing my voice. And Lord, there are some people overseas right now watching this live stream, and they're in the midst of persecution. And I'm praying, God, that you will use this to encourage all of us to know that there is, because of Jesus, a hope in Christian suffering. And we want to thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Each spring in Bakersfield at Valley Baptist Church, they hold a fundraising run in honor of Karen Watson. 
a young woman from their church who went to Iraq in 2003 to serve as a missionary. And she, along with four of her associates, were brutally gunned down on the streets of Iraq on March 15, 2004. And they have a fundraising run every year to raise money for missions. Her pastors, Phil Neighbors and Roger Spradlin, whom I know because our son Jeremy and our daughter Kelsey, are, he's on staff there at their church. These are great guys. And before Karen left to go to the field, she left them a letter, an envelope, inside a letter, and the envelope was marked to be opened only in the event of my death. When they opened that letter, this is what it said. Dear Pastor Phil and Pastor Roger, you should only be opening this letter in the event of my death. And when God calls, there are no regrets. I tried to share my heart with you as much as possible, my heart for the nations. I wasn't called to a place. I was called to him. To obey was my objective. To suffer was expected. His glory, my reward. His glory, my reward. One of the most important things to remember right now is to preserve the work. I'm writing this as if I'm still working with my people group. I thank you all so much for your prayers and support. Surely your reward in heaven will be great. Thank you for investing in my life and spiritual well-being. Keep sending missionaries out. Keep raising up fine young pastors. And in regards to any service for me, keep it small and simple. Yes, just simply preach the gospel. Be bold and preach the life-saving, life-changing, forever eternal gospel Give glory and honor to the Father. And remember the missionary's heart. Care more than some think is wise. Risk more than some think is safe. Dream more than some think is practical. Expect more than some think is possible. I was called not to comfort or success, but to obedience. There is no joy outside of knowing Jesus and serving him. I love you too and my church family. In his care, Salam, Karen. When you walk in the main office at Valley Baptist Church, there's a plaque on the wall that has Karen's words. I wasn't called to a place, I was called to him. To obey was my objective, to suffer was expected. His glory, my reward. His glory, my reward. That perspective on devotion and suffering is the opposite of what most people in the West have, even in the church. I was reading a piece by A.G. Fernando, who wrote a book a few years ago called The Call to Joy and Pain. He is a Christian leader from Sri Lanka. He ministers with the urban poor. Uh, many there often suffer for their faith. And in his book, this is a perspective he lives with with his people every day. Listen to what he wrote. The church in each culture has its own special challenges, theological blind spots that hinder Christians from growing to full maturity in Christ. I think one of the most serious theological blind spots in the Western church is a defective understanding of suffering. There seems to be a lot of reflection on how to avoid suffering and on what to do when we hurt. We have a lot of teaching about escape from suffering and therapy for suffering, but 
there is inadequate teaching about the theology of suffering. The good life, comfort, convenience, and a painless life have become such necessities that people view them as basic rights. If they do not have these, they, they think that something has gone wrong. One of the results of this attitude is a severe restriction of spiritual growth. For God intends us to grow through trials. I'll never forget the time I was at a church in Kingsburg with a group of pastors there. We were introduced to a pastor who had just come from Russia. He had come to try to reach Russians who had left the USSR to come to America. And when they introduced him and they asked him, what could we pray about for you as you come to the country? I'll never forget what he said. In Russia, we were often persecuted for our faith, and my people were made strong. We don't have persecution in America. And I want you to pray that in the absence of persecution, my people will remain strong. Quite a perspective. Which is why Peter wrote to these Christians the way he did. Verse 12, dear, dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. That phraseology, something strange happening in the Greek language could literally read something that goes together. It's happening, but it goes together. It's kind of the idea that living for Jesus and suffering trials are happening to you, Peter said, because they go together. They happen together as part of God's design for your growth, the spread of the gospel, and for God's glory. You see, the Bible tells us that trials come for a whole variety of reasons, but God uses all these reasons to accomplish his purpose. Some of our trials come because we live in a fallen, sinful world, and God doesn't spare us from every consequence. He uses those things to help grow us. Sometimes we go through trials as the consequence because of our sin and sinful choices. There are consequences for the things that we choose, and God even uses those to accomplish his purposes. There's also a time when there's a result of living a righteous life for Jesus, and there are people who suffer for doing that. And Peter told these Christians that they shouldn't be surprised at the fiery ordeal they were living. In fact, he said to them, dear friends, in verse 12, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal, the painful trial that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. This section in verse 12 marks the beginning of the climax of Peter's letter. He's writing to persecuted Christians. He's writing to them about the living hope that they have in Jesus Christ, that it isn't strange what's happening to them. These things go together. You live for God in a world that doesn't want him. There are times going to be things that happen to you, and don't be surprised when they do. He tells them when these things come, they're a test. They're a refining. They're a proving. They're a purifying of your faith. It's exactly what Peter addressed in the beginning of the letter in 1 Peter 1, verse 6, when he wrote, in all this, in all these blessings God offers, in all this salvation you've been given, in all this joy you experience to know your sins are forgiven and you have eternal life, in all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while 
you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Peter's reminding them, look, you're Christians, but you are not fully like Jesus yet. There is a work that God is doing. And suffering like Jesus did is part of becoming like him. That's why the Apostle Paul, when he was writing to the Philippian church in Philippians 3, made that astounding statement when he said, I want to know Christ, the power of his resurrection, and I want to know the fellowship of suffering in his death that I might become like him. Startling. I want to know the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings that I might become like him. When you experience suffering like this, Peter said, you can rejoice in the hope that it brings. And Peter tells them Christians can rejoice in the hope in Christian suffering. What is the basis of that hope? Peter tells them we rejoice in the hope that we are participating in the suffering of Jesus. And we rejoice in the hope that suffering means we're members of God's household. We rejoice in the hope that we are participating in the suffering of Jesus. Here's the way Peter put it in chapter 4, verse 12. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. For many of you who know me, I love being a parent. I love being a grandparent. But one of the things I hated was taking kids in to get their shots. I hated that thing. That's why I always made Carla do it. Anyway, <laughs> it's what happens in there. You, you go in there with a sweet little cherub, smiling at everybody, bouncing on your lap. They just think it's another lollipop time. And then all of a sudden, without warning, here comes this total stranger with a dagger, stabbing him in the leg. They scream, but that's not the worst of it. They look up at you like, you traitor. <laughs> you knew this was coming, you didn't tell me, and you're standing there doing nothing, letting this guy stab me, and the guy comes back again. <laughs> and they're screaming again, looking at you like, what are you doing? I hated those moments. I couldn't stand it. I'd pray like crazy, and I'd say, God, please don't let it hurt. And I'd say, man, if there was any way, what? If I could take this pain, I'd take it. Because the truth is, when you love somebody, you don't want them to be in pain. And you would take it if you could. Peter told these Christians, this is one of the reasons you can rejoice in your suffering. Because you're sharing in the suffering of the Jesus that you love. Peter told them that when they were suffering as a Christian, they're participating in the suffering of Christ. Verse 12, dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed 
for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. That word participate is the Greek word koinoneo, koinoneo, which has to do with fellowship, sharing in common, experiencing together. You are experiencing the fellowship of sharing in his suffering. Jesus suffered for you in the past, and now he's continuing to suffer through you. See, most Christians understand that Jesus suffered for them in many ways, and especially on the cross. But what they don't realize is that Jesus is still suffering in us for the sake of his body, the church. See, Jesus is alive. He lives in those who trust him. He lives in us individually. He lives in us corporately. We're called his body. Jesus has ascended to the right hand of God. He sits in glory there, but he's very present on earth. He's present in you. He's present in me. He's present in us together. We are the visible presence of Jesus in the world. We are his body, the church. When we live for Jesus, or as more as he lives his life out through us, the suffering experience before continues. But it's not really us that's suffering. It's Jesus suffering in his body to bring people to salvation and to strengthen the church. Paul reminded the Colossian church they were saved and made part of the church when they heard and believed the gospel, the good news of his death, burial, and resurrection. Now Paul tells them that he was continuing to suffer to fill up in his flesh what was lacking in Christ's afflictions. Listen to what he wrote to them in Colossians 1. They're asking Paul, why do you suffer the way you do for the gospel? Why are you suffering to bring us this good news? And he tells him in Colossians 1, verse 24, now I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what's still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I've become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles, amongst the nations, the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Why am I suffering? Because God's given me a message. This message is going out through me. And because of this message going out through me, many people are being drawn to Christ and being saved. But there's suffering that comes with that. I suffered when I preached it with you, but I rejoice in that now because I understand why the suffering is coming and it's a sign that the gospel is flourishing. So he tells him in verse 28, he is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Jesus is there doing that work. And when you proclaim the gospel, it's Christ working in you. And when you suffer, it is Christ continuing his suffering in you. And if as a Christian you share in his suffering as you faithfully live for him, then you will also share in his glory. That's what Paul was telling the Romans in Romans 8, verse 16. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory, which is why Peter wrote in chapter 1, verse 6, in all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold 
which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. That's why Peter wrote in chapter 4, verse 13, but rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. You see, this is why the apostles and members of the early church could face such suffering and even death the way they did. They knew that they were participating in the suffering of Jesus and that through their lives, the gospel, the good news, was going out to more and more people. Do you remember in the book of Acts in chapter 5, the first time the apostles and some of their followers were arrested by the Sanhedrin, the Jewish Sanhedrin? Do you remember when they were arrested? And they were brought before that governing body. And when you pick up the story in Acts 5, verse 27, it said the apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. You have filled, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Now, keep in mind, this is a disciplining body of Jerusalem. It's like being before the Supreme Court. Verse 29, Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We're witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. So powerful was that speech, the Sanhedrin fell on their knees and said, wow, we were wrong, you guys are right, show us the way. No, that isn't what happened. In fact, in verse 33, when they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put him to death. Gamaliel, one of the most respected teachers in their midst, jumped up and said, hey guys, wait a minute, before you carry out that death sentence, be careful what you do with these men. If this is from man, it will fail, but if this is from God, You'll only be found fighting against God. It tells us in Acts 5, verse 40, his speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. And then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering, disgrace for their name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Did you catch that? They're given the Sanhedrin punishment, 39 lashes with a whip on their bare back. Bruised and bloodied, they let them go. And where do these people go? They go right back to the temple courts in the public square, bruised and bloodied. And they stand there and tell the people what? We're rejoicing today. Because we know God, and we know Jesus, and we're saved, and you can be too, if you just trust in him. Rejoicing that they had been counted worthy to suffer disgrace for the name. 
And what was the result? Acts 6, verse 7. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Some of the people who persecuted them actually became followers because they could not silence the joy. George MacDonald, an old Scottish author, poet, and clergyman, he was a mentor and an influence to such writers as Lewis Carroll, C.S. Lewis, J.R.R. Tolkien. George MacDonald once wrote, the Son of God suffered unto death, not that men might not suffer, but that their sufferings might be like his. Peter had lived it, so when others were facing trials because they were living for Jesus, he knew exactly what to write to them. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. And Peter tells them, when you realize that their suffering has a purpose, then you can know the hope that comes in Christian suffering. And not only that we have the hope of participating in the suffering of Christ, but we rejoice in the hope that suffering means we are members of God's household. Peter went on to put it like this in verse 15. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it's time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it's hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. When I was at Central Connecticut State in my sophomore year, I wasn't a Christian, and I decided to join a fraternity. Not one of the brighter decisions I ever made in my life, but I did. Now, the guys were great. They were a lot like me. They didn't know Jesus either. Joining a fraternity is an interesting experience. Um, you have to do a lot of stupid stuff. You're out there to prove your manhood or something like that and to earn your right to belong. So you had to do things like carry around this big brick everywhere you went. And if you didn't have your brick, you had to do, and one of the brothers saw you, you had to do push-ups and you had to eat some gross stuff they scraped off their plates at lunch and all that kind of stuff. Uh, proving your manhood, I guess. And you had to um, endure pledge nights where they did all kinds of stuff I'm not even going to talk about, physical trials, various forms of humiliation and abuse. You had to go through kidnap night. This was a fun thing. They come in the middle of the night unannounced, grab you out of your bed, blindfold you, throw you in the back of a car, drive around for hours, and dump you out somewhere without any idea of where you are, and you have to find your way back in a certain amount of time. Really fun things about joining a fraternity. Anyway, the point of all this, they told us, was that we would have a shared experience, that we, along with our other frat brothers, would have this common experience to help us to be fully identified with each other and members of the fraternity. And when you passed all of this stuff, then you got your letters. You got to wear the jacket and the sweater with the Greek letters on it, and you belonged. It was a sign that you had endured and belonged along with these other guys who had endured and belonged. Well, in a way, Peter is telling these Christians in chapter 4 that the evidence that you belong 
is that you are suffering as Christians all over the world have suffered for this from the beginning. That's what Peter's telling them. In fact, he says in verse 15, if you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. The, the word judgment is the idea of making a selection. That's the word he's using, to separate out, to choose a certain group. It signifies the result of an action after a testing. So God has tested, he has tried you, you have believed the gospel, and your suffering is affirming now that God has judged that you are really a part of his household. So he says in verse 17, for it's time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? The gospel has gone out, Peter said. You've believed it. And God has judged you as belonging to him. Suffering is a part of that confirmation. The gospel has gone out. And some have not believed and obeyed it. And a different kind of suffering awaits them. Which is why he said in verse 18, and if it's hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? That's why Peter said in verse 15, if you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. But if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. Not all suffering, Peter said, is a confirmation of your belonging to God's household. If you're out there committing crimes, stealing things, killing people, or you're acting like a jerk and meddling in people's affairs and they get tired of you and they retaliate, don't stand back and say, look at me, I'm suffering for Jesus. That's not how this works. But he said, if you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed, praise God, that you bear that name. What name was he talking about? The name Christian. You see, in Peter's day, being called a Christian was an insult. It was a derogatory term. The name Christian had a meaning like little Christ. There goes those little Christs. It was meant to be an insult. It was a name that some people were not really readily excited to embrace. And Peter writes to him and says, look, if you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed. Praise God that you're called a little Christ. They're seeing Jesus in you. You are being identified as members of God's household, his family. See, that's why when Paul the apostle wrote to the Ephesians, there were people from paganism coming into the church. They were saved in coming into the church. And Peter tells them, you're being made part of a whole new household. Ephesians 2, verse 19, consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. You're part of that household. See, that's why Peter said, when you suffer for the sake of the gospel, you're blessed. 
You're confirmed as members of God's household, so stay committed to God. In fact, that's why he said in verse 19, so then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. If you suffer according to God's will. I had a lady once come to me and say, it's not God's will that I suffer. And I said, wherever did you get that idea? Where did you get that idea? Jesus said in John 16, verse 33, in the world you will have trouble. Take heart, I've overcome the world. Jesus said, as they have treated me, so they will treat you. Peter said, when you suffer according to God's will, commit yourself to God. Where did we ever get the idea that as a Christian, living in a world like ours, we're going to get a smooth ride or an easy pass? Where did that come from? It didn't come from God, and it didn't come out of the Bible. That's a Western mindset of the way Christian life ought to be. That if you come to God, you're going to be blessed. You're going to have houses and lands and health and all of these things. Well, you might. There's a good chance you might lose all that stuff. So when you're going through this kind of suffering according to God's will, he said. By the way, it isn't just persecution. Many of our trials today, we still have them. Everyone in this room is suffering a trial of some kind. A health problem or with somebody you love financial setback, relational strife, job losses. There's so many kinds of trials. Peter called them various kinds of trials. There's many. But God uses them for a purpose. And when they come, when you suffer according to God's will, he said, commit your way to your faithful creator and continue to do good. That is one of the most unusual designations for God in the whole Bible, faithful creator. But what a meaning meaningful phrase for suffering Christians. Peter's telling them, commit your way to God and continue to do good because the God to whom you belong, the God in whom you trust, is faithful and he's the creator, almighty, sovereign creator of the universe. Nothing is out of his control or power. So when you know you're suffering, is a confirmation of your belonging to God. It gives you the hope in Christian suffering. See, Christians can rejoice even in the midst of their trials because they know that they're experiencing a victory they can't experience any other way. People, next Sunday is the International Day of Prayer with the persecuted church. Christians are being persecuted around the globe today in unprecedented numbers. We don't hear a lot about it in the news because it doesn't get covered. I'm telling you, missiologists have statistics that are staggering. Next week, we're going to be asked to be joined together with the church around the world to be praying with the persecuted believers because they're not ones who really want to be prayed for. They want us to pray with them for what they're doing. We came across a video I want to show you. It's about a minute and 20 seconds long. It's a video that is so simple, but it gets across what Peter was saying because what you're about to see on the screen 
are the words that persecuted Christians who are facing persecution right now have texted out or tweeted out to the rest of the world. They've captured some of those phrases and put them in this video. This is the perspective in their own words of how they see their persecution and suffering. Watch this. about this but when I see words like that coming from thousands of believers in persecuted countries I realize that what Peter said was true right now God we don't face persecution in the West not of any real stripe we might get insulted or ostracized or have family members that don't want to talk to us or we might get misunderstood or marginalized or all of that. We don't suffer any real persecution yet. But we do go through trials of various kinds. In the absence of real persecution, those trials have the same purpose. They're to help to grow us, to strengthen us, to strengthen our resolve and commit our way to a faithful creator and continue to do good. Lord, I want to thank you today for trusting us enough with a word like this, which is so very different than what we often want to hear. But it's good for us because this is real. This is genuine. This is of God. So I want to thank you for the many blessings that are ours. And I want to thank you, God, that even our trials and suffering can be a blessing. As we participate together in the suffering of Jesus and live the joy of confirmation, we are members of God's household. Thank you, God, for this. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.